0: gross point blank is brought to you by game time your new go-to app for the best deals on last minute tickets ticket prices drop before the game starts and because game time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers they're able to show you the best last minute deals with prices up to 60 percent off if you're in dc this weekend and you don't have tickets to this fight go get them i mean you know the no problem on game time you can definitely get tickets to ufc dc there and it'll be worth your time and effort The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome to Gross Point Blank. I am Josh Gross, joining you every week as we do on TheAthletic.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Always appreciate you tuning in and listening. Uh, if you want to get the extended ad free version of the show, please do. Please join The Athletic. You can subscribe by going to athletic.com backslash Josh Gross, get 40% off there. We really appreciate it. If you want to have ads, we're happy to have you listen to them, uh, but also want you to subscribe, rate, and review. That would be tremendous if you could do that on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else that you get your podcasts. Um, lots to discuss this week. We are ending 2019 with a bang. We're going to look at the month of December. Certainly a ton of fights to go over. We'll also talk to Kayla Harrison, who will be in maybe, I don't know what the bout order is for the PFL card on December 31st, but she might be the final fight of the year in mixed martial arts. Someone on that card will be. Uh, It'll cap a very, very busy, deep, and important month as fighters look ahead to 2020, close 2019 in strong ways. Lots of chances for fighters to make big statements at the end of the year. We will preview the month at large here in the uh, last segment uh, if you're listening on The Athletic. And I'll tell you what, um, lots of fights now coming into focus for 2020. Uh, In recent days, big matchups announced. Conor McGregor returning, taking on Cowboy Cerrone at 170 pounds. That'll be in January, UFC 246 at T-Mobile Arena of course, we know UFC 247s in Houston. We know that because we spoke to Dominic Reyes last week. He's going to challenge John Jones for that light heavyweight championship in the UFC. Tremendous fight. Go back and listen to that interview. I wrote a story on Dominic as well if you want a little bit more on him and his thought process and why he feels this is the moment for him to upend John Jones. No one's done it. Dominic Reyes is sure that he's going to be that guy. Also on that card, a title fight at uh, 125 pounds. Valentina Shevchenko taking on Kitlin Chukagian. Anytime Shevchenko fights, uh, you're looking at some of the best mixed martial artists there is right now on the planet. And that is quite a test for Chukagian. Other fights announced. I mean, if we're, if we're really sort of like jumping into 2020 with both feet, the UFC doing some big stuff here in February. Jan Blachowicz taking on Corey Anderson. That's a fight at 205 that I think a lot of people... Didn't really think about Corey Anderson was screaming up and down. If I don't get the title fight against Jon Jones, I'm quitting. I'm leaving the UFC. Well, not really, dude. No. So you're going to fight Jan Blokovic and then we'll see what happens from that. Probably the winner of this fight has to get the next shot, right? You would think that they have to get the next shot. Again, unless Dominic Reyes pulls off that miracle, then then Jones is going to get his rematch. But um, that Blokovic anderson fight is... It, uh, pretty interesting in New Mexico Rio Rancho, New Mexico so if John Jones wants a bird's eye look he can get it uh, also in February in Auckland, New Zealand uh, this is a hell of a fight the UFC announced at 155 pounds Paul Felder and Dan Hooker man, all action violent aggression technique just uh, super cool fight go check out their stare down from some of the press events announcing this fight uh, that, should, that should get the hairs on your arm if you got them uh, to stand up on their end. Uh, also announced in March, UFC 248, likely uh, to see Wally Zhang against Joanna Yonjiecek. Um That one should get you pretty excited too, right? I mean, we're talking about the 135 pounds, sorry, 115 pound championship. And, um, you know, Wally Zhang is a dangerous beast. And she showed in the last fight against Rose Namunas, who handled Joanna before that. And so this is this is a statement making opportunity for the Chinese fighter. And for the Chinese market, you know, is we all talked about how important it was for Zhang to win that fight. And now this explosion of Chinese mixed martial arts. Well, that's one thing to win the title. It's an entirely different thing to defend the title. If she goes out and defends the title against Yuanna, now you're talking superstar in China. Okay? Different level different different level of things for Wiley Zhang if that happens. That's uh scheduled for March seventh, UFC two forty eight in March, and then, I mean, this is probably the like why I am still so invested in this sport. Fights like this, and I don't give a damn that this thing's been scheduled what four times now, five times. I don't what. Who cares? It is scheduled again. Khabib Nurmagomedov, Tony Ferguson, April eighteenth in Brooklyn. Can I just make a suggestion to everybody listening? Please, let's not pretend that this fight's not happening. Let's not pretend, oh my God, put him in bubble wrap. Oh my God, oh my God. You start putting out that kind of energy in the world, bad stuff happens. No, no, no. This fight's going to happen. We're going to get this fight. It's going to be in April, and it's going to be incredible. Far and away, the biggest fight that the UFC has booked, at least as it looks now for the first quarter of 2020. I know a lot of people love Conor McGregor, and it's still a big deal when he fights, but... From my perspective, inside my gut, this is such a bigger fight than the Cowboy-Connor fight. Partly because Cowboy-Connor's at 170 and it it feels confused and it's like, well, what does this mean for Conor McGregor? And great, it's he's back. The whiskey guy's back in the game. Cool, you know? And that's great. And I don't want to diminish Conor McGregor's role in this sport. Let's not do that. He's an important figure. But he hasn't really done much and he hasn't really fought in a while and now he's coming back. At a weight class, the you know he's not his best in. I I don't I don't think he's a champion at 170. I don't give him a shot against Kamara Usman. I don't think he handles these guys well at the upper echelon of that weight class. So w- w- what are we doing here? So that's part of my hesitation with the Cowboy Connor fight. It'll be fun when it happens. It's going to happen quick. January 18th, kickoff 2020 for the UFC on pay per view. I'm sure the UFC and ESPN are expecting something massive. I'm sure that's why the, this fight is coming together. And, and we'll see. It'll be a test of, of Connor's uh, celebrity status at this stage. Um, so, you know, lots to look forward to. But before we get to 2020, we're going to still settle here on 2019. We'll talk to Kayla Harrison in the uh, segment coming up. And then the final segment, look ahead to this month. So much happening, starting with this weekend. Cards all the way through. I am Josh Gross. You're listening to Gross Point Blank. Welcome back to Gross Point Blank. Uh, as we talked about, we're going to focus a lot on the month of December. There is so much in the world of mixed martial arts uh, this month that I'm, you know, it's like, where do you start? Where do you begin? So in some ways, I figure let's let's start at the end because at the end of the month, uh, December 31st, it happens to be my birthday for whatever it's worth. Uh, I think the final card of the year, as is, is the PFL has tended to do, uh, will take place at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Six title fights, of course, culminating their second season on uh, uh, as the PFL. It's the you know on ESPN, and you, you can you take, can take these things in if you didn't get enough MMA. Um, one of the fighters that they've built up in. The biggest way and and focus a lot of the promotion around has been Kayla Harrison. Of course, you know, Kayla is a two time Olympic gold medalist in judo. Uh, She has done a lot of things that are worth talking about, including publishing and authoring a book, uh, documenting her story about preventing uh, 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 child sexual abuse. She's got a foundation called the Fearless Foundation, which also uh, delves into that as well. And uh, Kayla's joining us on the phone now to talk about her fight on the 31st against Larissa Pacheco and everything else that's going on with her life. Kayla, how are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. How are you? Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, it's my pleasure. It's always good to talk to you. And it must be a busy time down there in ATT. We're talking to uh, to you, like I said, it's a busy month. Colby Covington and Amanda Nunes are are preparing for UFC championship fights on top of everything else that's going on. What, what's the camp like these days?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a busy time of year for us. We've got, like you said, Colby. We've got Amanda. We have Marlon fighting next week. We have Tiago fighting this week. We have myself and Nathan Schultz fighting for the PFL. Um, I'm probably missing some people, but it's definitely busy. My good buddy, uh, we, we just we have a lot of fights going on, so it's a good time to be at ATT.
0: You've been down there for now a, a few years, um, as you've worked into getting into this mixed martial arts game, adapting what you know from judo to become an all around fighter. Where do you think you are now in your stage of development?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I'm still a baby. You know, maybe I'm not an infant anymore, but I'm still, I'm still learning every day. I'm still growing at an at an exponential rate. I'm still absorbing so much every day, developing a game. Um, the sky's kind of the limit for me, which is an exciting thing. Uh,
0: we'll talk about that. Where where is the limit? I mean, uh, you're not one to limit yourself. You shoot for the best. You shoot for gold, right? You you, you one gold medal wasn't enough for you. You, you went out and got two. Uh, w- what is the extent of where your game can take you?
1: <clears throat> I mean, I don't expect anything less than the best from myself. So, um, you know, I want to fight the best fighters in the world. I want to go down as one of the greatest to ever do it, and I know that I'm at the right gym to make that happen. I know that I've got the right coaches and training partners and the right mentality and mindset. And, you know, I believe that eventually over time, I'll have the right skill set in order to make that happen.
0: Uh, well, well, tell me, how far do you think you've progressed? Where are you feeling comfortable that, you know, a year or two ago, you you really weren't?
1: Yeah, I think my stand-up's coming along great. Um, I think one of the big things that's changed is my mentality. You know, I used to focus so much on being perfect and wanting to be, you know, this unstoppable force. And I've, and I used to get mad if I would get hit even a little bit in sparring. And I used to get down on myself. And, and I think I've realized that, you know, the number one thing is to remain relaxed, to remain calm. And, um, you know, you're going to take some hits, but that doesn't mean you're losing. I I didn't understand when I was winning around or losing around when I first started. I just, it all would happen so fast that I never really understood like, okay, am I, am I winning? And I finally, it's all starting to click to me like, okay, I'm inflicting more damage than I'm taking. I'm winning. Um, I'm still trying to go out there and instill my will and, and execute my game plan to the best of my ability. But the biggest thing that's changed is really my confidence and just my, my mindset. I've been able to learn how to relax on the feet a lot more.
0: And, and that that is a different, like you have an athlete in one particular realm and they're tremendous there, right? But you, you, you put them in a different place and all of a sudden the breathing's different, the moving's different. And you know, where they were uh, all worlds in, in one realm, all of a sudden they feel like you're taking baby steps. Uh, it, it sounds like you've gotten past a lot of that stage and, and gotten to the relaxing it's, it seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? It's like you got to relax to fight, but most people are like so tense and they want to like, they have to ball up a, a bundle of energy to get there. Um, yeah, that, that's the that's the real difficulty, right? That's, that's like clearing a major hurdle in your game.
1: Yeah, I think it just comes with, you know, that was one of those things that you can't really force. It has to come with time. It has to come with experience. It has to come with cage time and sparring time and getting the reps in and feeling comfortable and strong and confident and One of the big things for me is like when I'm tense, it zaps my energy. You know, the more tense I am, the more energy I expend. So learning how to relax has really improved my game and and my ability to go into deep waters and be successful.
0: You've uh, put together an undefeated record so far and you've only gone the distance once. It happens to be against the woman that you're fighting on the 31st, Larissa Pacheco. Why did that fight go the distance? What happened there?
1: Um, I think it was the culmination of things number one, you know, it was a last minute opponent change I found out about her a day before I was supposed to fight Um, my teammate magomed got sick. So I got bumped to my first ever main event slot Uh, I didn't really know what to expect of larissa. I watched one or two videos and they were pretty old They were all of her, you know, when she was very young in the ufc um, and the other thing is just she's a good fighter, you know, she's Very well rounded. She's strong. She's got way more experience than me. She's only lost to, you know, UFC champs, former UFC champs, or undefeated fighters. And um, I don't want to say I took her too lightly, but I definitely was not as prepared as I'm going to be heading into this fight. So, I mean, a lot of different things came into play, but, you know, at the end of the day, there are no excuses. And, you know, the Kayla that beat her in May would get eaten alive by the Kayla that I am today, so
0: yeah, and that, that's wild to hear. Obviously, that was just your fourth fight. and so now you're six and o as you head into the finals of this uh, second season. what 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 do you think of the format? Um, it, it seems some ups and downs as you mentioned, you know, it' was just a one day notice to fight Larissa. Uh, overall, as a competitor, as someone who's very familiar with the tournament format and winning those, h- how do you think that the PFL structure has worked for the athletes?
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. I think it's, um, you know, I think they're changing the game. One of the reasons I was so hesitant to, to try MMA was because it is very much entertainment based. But PFL is really changing the game in the sense that, you know, it's all in the fighter's hands. It's the, your destiny is in your control. If you want money, win. If you want to continue to fight, win. If you want um, to be successful, it's really in your hands. And that's something I truly believe in. I think that it's making MMA more of a sport and less of an entertainment. And obviously I come from a sport background. I come from, um, you know, judo and an Olympic background. So this, this is what I'm all about.
0: And, uh, the chance to make a million bucks is a little bit different than your Olympic experience. Although lots of people, if they win that gold medal seem to capitalize on it. How much did you capitalize on those gold medal experiences?
1: Um, well, I mean, obviously you don't, go to the Olympics. Well, at least in the US for judo. You don't go to be rich. You don't go to be famous. You go because um you have a deep desire within yourself to be the best in the world at what you do. And I never did judo for money. I don't do anything really for money. Um I do it because I have a passion for it and I love it. And I believe that if you do what you love, the money will come. But I was very successful. You know, I, I was definitely the highest paid judo judoka to ever come out of the United States. And now I've been able to take that background and take the, that experience and turn it into a very lucrative career.
0: So much uh, about Olympic judo was brought to light, I think, when Ronda Rousey had her success, and you know she definitely made a dent on the game, but but left a bit unceremoniously, if we're going to be fair. I mean, lost two fights and and went off into another world. Um, as a competitor, you know, what do you, what do you think about that? Obviously everybody has their own life and their own reasons for doing things and mixed martial arts is not a game that you want to hang around if you don't want to be there. Um, but, but could you accept that? Could you accept taking two hard losses like that and and just simply walking away?
1: Oh, that would be tough. That that would be really tough for me. Um, you know, fortunately I'm very lucky that when I I was very burned out in judo, I'm I'm only gonna speak from my experience because I don't walk in Ronda shoes and I would never, um, you know, want to speak out of turn or, or say how she's feeling. I have no idea how she felt, but in my experience, you know, I was really burned out at the 2016 Olympics. I wanted to quit judo. I was I was really done with the sport, but I was able to finish on top. And I don't know if you put me in that position where I had lost at the Olympics would I still be doing judo right now? Probably. Um, but that's just where, that's just my mental thing. And I'm, I'm different in that sense that, you know, I, I, my motto is a goal set is a goal met. (laughs) So.
0: And and why is it so important for you to do what you say you're going to do?
1: Uh, I mean, (laughs) why is the sky blue? I don't know. It's just, a deep desire within myself to reach my full potential. And um, the day that I feel like I've I've reached my potential in the sport of MMA is probably the day that I'll walk away. Uh, but that's how I am with everything in life. That's how I am when I get out of bed every morning, you know, whether it's um, writing a book, whether it's, you know, running sprints or going to training or fighting an MMA fight or doing the dishes. You know, I want to bring the best possible version of Kayla to life every single day. And the people that I know who do that and live their life that way are the people that I know that are truly happy and, and truly, um, truly successful.
0: Can you talk about your book? Uh, it's titled Fighting Back, What an Olympic Champion Story Can Teach Us About Recognizing and Preventing Child Sexual Abuse and Helping Kids Recover. Why, why was this a project that you were, look, writing a book is very difficult to do. Uh, I, I, and I know you're a very motivated person, but even for very motivated people, it is it is a chore. Uh, why was this something that you needed to do?
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, it's no secret that I was sexually abused by my first judo coach. Um, and it was something that I had a lot of shame and fear and, and mixed feelings about for a long time. You know, I moved abruptly from Ohio when I was 16. Um, because I told my mom what had been happening, and he served time in federal prison. And um, luckily, my story has a happy ending. But you know, I started I started speaking out about sexual abuse sort of right around when the Jerry Sandusky scandal broke out. And then I went and won the Olympics, and I was given this amazing platform. And I went and, and gave all these. You know, you talk about how did how did I capitalize on my olympic success well i wasn't going you know to, to do all these endorsement deals and getting crazy sponsorships i was getting phone call after phone call about hey can you come speak at my charity or hey can you can you come share your story with my daughter's third grade class or hey can you can you come to this event we're trying to raise awareness and i realized that there are all kinds of local and regional organizations who are in the mud who are in the thick of it doing doing the hard work but there wasn't really any big foundation or place you could go to to try and prevent sexual abuse. And not only that, you know, there was no real educational material. There's no, um, you know, when you go to class, when you go to school, there's no, you learn all about stranger danger, and you learn all about bullying and cyberbullying and safe sex and saying no to drugs. But you don't learn what you should do if someone close to you tries to take advantage of you. And I felt like that was a really big gap in our education system. And it was one of the reasons that sexual abuse is so Prevalent in our society. You know, one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually assaulted or abused by the time they're 18. And those are just the kids that say something. So I started uh, a foundation, the Fearless Foundation. And part of my goal was to educate our society. And that's when I decided to write the book. And I wrote it with two psychiatrists from McLean Hospital. And Fighting Back is unique in the sense that it's not a memoir, but it's also not a textbook. It uses all my journal entries from the beginning of my, um, my history of sexual abuse, you know, I kept journals and it shows you, okay, this is what grooming looks like. This is why kids stay silent. This is how you can talk to your son or daughter or, you know, someone you care about. If you think that there's an inappropriate relationship going on and it uses my story as a guideline. And then the psychiatrists get in there and they really break down everything that's going on. Not only that, not only does it educate you, but hopefully, it gives you know people who have maybe been through something similar or who who are going through something similar hope you know there there is light at the end of the tunnel there are shiny gold medals at the end of the tunnel if you if we are brave enough to start having the conversation
0: yeah well congratulations on your bravery sincerely i mean it's an important thing that that people um speak about and uh understand And, and it occurs to me I mean, you, married, you mentioned Jerry Sandusky. You, you hear of Larry Nasser, this doctor who was associated with the U.S. Gymnastics Program. Uh, there's a lawsuit at Ohio State over a doctor there, and, and lots of athletes and wrestlers have, have talked about uh, being taken advantage of and, and abused and assaulted. And, and it, you know, is sort of thinking about these things and having conversations, even with some of the people who were impacted by that, it occurs to me that athletes are especially susceptible because if you're really competitive, the thing that you're giving up is you're sacrificing more like the idea of sacrificing is prevailing over everything else that you're doing. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah.
1: I think that, um, athletes, especially young athletes are super susceptible to being victims of sexual abuse. I think that it's number one, if you're a highly competitive type a, um, driven person, you know, I think that like I, my goal was always to be the center of attention. I was always a people pleaser. I was all, it was always, my innate desire was to, to make my coaches happy or to make my parents proud or things of that nature. And so I think that that makes you, um, highly susceptible to sexual abuse, but also it's just the nature of the relationships. Right. I mean, one thing that my judo coach, Jimmy always said when I, to me and has said in interviews in the past that always stuck with me was you wouldn't just, you know, you wouldn't just give the keys to your car to a stranger and say, here. Take my car for a spin, but so quickly, we as parents or caretakers are are so eager. You know, we want our kids to be the next uh, Tiger Woods. We want our kids to be the next Michael Jordan or Gabby Douglas or Ronda Rousey. So we say, here, take my child, make them a prodigy, make them special. But that's, you know, the world isn't full of all good people, and that's a really dangerous thing to do. So, yeah, I think athletes are super susceptible to being victims of sexual abuse.
0: And and do you think that that desire to compete and actually that willingness to give over all your hours, you you don't get to have fun on the weekends, you just sacrifice constantly. um, it, It sort of makes it so that when someone comes along and they're supposed to be there in your corner helping you, that you feel like, well... You know, I'm not sure what they're doing, and maybe it doesn't seem right, but I'm just going to trust that this process is going to help me compete. And in the end, that's and win. And at the end of the day, that's really the only thing that matters. Does that, does there need to be a, a shift in the way that people think about competing and, and what really matters?
1: Um, well, I think that, well, that's an interesting way to look at it. You know, I, obviously, when your child, the the problem with sexual abuse is kids don't really understand at that age what's happening literally our brains are not developed enough to to comprehend what is occurring you know we don't we don't start to realize right and wrong and and things of that nature and sex, sexual tendencies and things like that until we're much older so um i think it really falls in, in the hands of caretakers i think it falls it's also the coach's responsibilities to to maintain you know respectable professional relationships with their athletes. And I'm not – I don't – I wouldn't really ever say that it's it's the athlete's job or the, or the child's job to figure that out. Um, I think that, you know, wanting to be the best at what you do and wanting to win at all costs is not – I don't think that's a negative thing, but I think that we have to learn that there are boundaries. And parents, caretakers need to be aware of this. And we need to be careful about who we, you know, give our trust to.
0: Yeah. Through all these examples that have now emerged, including your book and, and all the stories that I'd referenced before, do you feel like there's more awareness now than there's ever been for these issues and that kids coming up have, have a, a, a much better understanding of what's okay, what's not okay? And, and And, you know, obviously parents too, what to look out for. Is it much different than when you were getting your start?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean- You know, I remember when I, the reason that I first started talking was because the Jerry Sandusky scandal and um, USA Today was coming to write a story on me. And the night before they came to the dojo, I got in a fight with my best friend over uh, Joe Paterno losing his job because she posted on Facebook about, you know, the injustice and this and that. And I saw that, you know, college kids were flipping over cars and rioting about a football coach losing his job, but no one... Was rioting for these countless victims whose lives had been changed forever. And at that time, it was because there wasn't, you know, I realized that there was no face. You know, there was, people thought, oh, I'm not Catholic, so that doesn't happen to me. Oh, I'm not in the Boy Scouts, so that doesn't happen to me. Oh, well, I don't, my kid doesn't go to Penn State, so that's not going to happen to my kid. But it does happen, you know, sexual abuse doesn't know. Gender or race, or how much money is in your bank account, or what part of the town you come from, Um, and that's why it's so scary. And there was, there were really no conversations going on about that. But times have really changed. Um, You look at the the Nassar scandal, and as devastating as that was, the way those those kids came together and became an army of survivors, and the way they refused to be silent um leaves me feeling very very hopeful and positive about what the future holds for for all of us
0: yeah i'd like to think that um strength and righteousness perseveres um it's um uh, it's a difficult thing especially in the face of what, what what really is pure evil i mean you're taking advantage of the most innocent kind of people in uh circumstances that i think unless you've experienced it. It's like, I can't understand what your experience was as much as you're trying to share it and have people raise awareness and understand it. It's, it's such a personal thing to go through inside the judo community. Was there much of this from your knowledge? I mean, how rare was it uh, your experience relative to other people?
1: Um, You know, I think it's difficult. It's difficult to say. Um, I think it happens a lot more than people realize simply because, Many people stay silent. I can't tell you how many speeches I've given or how many book signings I've gone to where someone will come up to me and say, "You know, something something similar happened to me when I was a child, and I never told anyone, and I wish that I had." Um, or your story gives me strength, or or this or that. And I think, especially in martial arts, you know, you have this um, in judo, particularly. You have a sensei and you have a student, and it's very deeply rooted in this. Um, power balance where you know they're in charge and you're supposed to do what they say and it's um it's not easy but i'm not entirely sure how often it happened in judo but my guess is more than more than i care to admit
0: yeah well certainly well again raising awareness about these things is really important and it's uh, tremendous that you you did that people you. can pick up your book it's in it's in paperback now right
1: yeah it's available hardback paperback e- ebook i believe amazon um, yeah.
0: And, and your foundation, how active is that? What, what are you doing with that on a, well, on a regular basis? Well, you know, it's
1: tough being a full-time fighter and, and also trying to run a foundation, but, um, all the proceeds, all the profits from the book, book sales go to my foundation. And, um, uh, my goal is now that the educational piece is done we're you know, I want to start working on a curriculum to go with the book, um, so that it does have to be in the seventh grade health class system. And from there, you know, I want to work on developing programs for victims of sexual abuse so they can go on to be not just, you know, victims, but survivors and not only survivors, but thrivers um, once that ordeal is done. So I have a lot of plans for the foundation. It's slow and steady coming for me just because uh, (laughs) my life is pretty hectic. But yeah, I'm very very excited about what the Fearless Foundation is going to do.
0: No question. It's, it's always a balance. And, um, you know, you, you've, you're not only have to dedicate yourself to preparing to be the best that you can be, but then you have to have a live a life, right? Um, that's, <laughs> it, a, it's a difficult thing sometimes.
1: It's not easy, but I wouldn't trade my life for anything.
0: Sure. Um, as you get ready for this fight now, uh, we're, you know, we're not, we're a little less than a month out. Um, say four weeks out if we're, if we're going to call it, um, Against Larissa Pacheco, where where are you in your stage of camp? Like, how far along are you? Um, considering the schedule that PFL holds, I imagine you've been training pretty nonstop for most of the year. Um, how, how do you feel about your preparation so far?
1: Yeah, every everything's going great. Um, you know, everything's going according to plan. I'm healthy. I'm in shape. Everything's going good. Sparring's going good. Uh, my coaches are really pleased. And now it's just about um, staying smart. And, and get into December 31st.
0: Have you been working at all with Amanda Nunes? Do you ever spend time with her uh, preparing both yourselves for, for fights?
1: We do, but for this fight, you know, she's fighting a stand-up Orthodox striker. So um, we, she's kind of had to take different partners. You know, I'm very grappling-based Southpaw, so I'm not really the right fit um, for her for this camp. So we've kind of been doing our own thing, but... Obviously, supporting each other and in the gym, and you know, ready to bring back more gold to ATT.
0: Yeah, clearly, and and your stand-up striking is is getting there. I mean, you're you're willing to stand and engage, and I know you said you're more relaxed now. Um, you're comfortable being hit. That's that's a that's a big deal, right? I mean, just just feeling that in the sense that if you're going to get hit, things will be okay. That that's a huge thing to to overcome in this game, is it not?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a big, you know. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face, but it's uh, it's about what happens once once that punch lands and how are you going to adapt? How are you going to react? Are you going to keep your composure? Are you going to be able to overcome it, or what's going to happen? And I think I've gotten really comfortable. I don't want to say I've gotten comfortable with getting hit, but I've learned to maintain composure.
0: Were you disappointed that you uh, weren't going to get the chance to be hit by Chris Cyborg? Uh, clearly PFL made an effort to to try and sign her. She ended up in Bellator. That was a fight. A lot of people were looking for as a potential, like, Hey, this is, that's the bout that gets Kayla Harrison over the top and makes her a star. And that's not going to happen now. How do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, I'm bummed. You know, obviously, you know, I don't just say that I want to fight the best. I really do want to fight the best. And obviously she is, uh, one of the greatest female combat athletes of all time. So I was disappointed when she didn't sign with the PFL. I wasn't surprised um she has you know a long-standing relationship with the people over at bellator and um i think that she's kind of at the tail end of her career winding down um you know wanted to stick with something that she knew and the pfl is is a brand new organization doing brand new things and um i think she's a little bit old school so i wasn't surprised but i was definitely disappointed
0: yeah could you fight at 145 pounds if, if the UFC came calling? Is that is that physically possible for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I walk around at 160 to 165. It's definitely possible. It's not something that I really would be looking forward to. Um, you know, I don't believe in cutting weight. I think that it sends a bad message to kids and, and future athletes. I think that we do a very dangerous sport where we get punched in the head, and what protects your brain? It's water. So if you're going in there and you're dehydrating your body of Thirty pounds, twenty pounds, and then stepping into a cage twenty four hours later, expecting to to be at a hundred percent. I think that that's really dangerous and foolish, and it's not something I believe in. But you know, I do have a desire to be the best. I think that uh, one forty five is where a lot of the competition is. It's funny because most of these girls that fight one forty five weigh more than me, but uh, it is what it is, and I, I think that it's possible. Uh, I just I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs>
0: would, would it just be water weight or would you have to totally change like how you're the, the amount of calories you're taking in the strength training you're doing? Would it would be a total uh, sort of game plan to get down to that weight.
1: Um, no, I would definitely have to, to make changes. Um, you know, I would not want to dehydrate my body like that. So I'd have to be much more disciplined with my diet. I'd probably have to alter how I train um, a lot more cardio and things of that nature. But, uh i'll cross that bridge when i get to it
0: yeah and uh you'll cross the bridge on december 31st you you have a chance to be i don't know what kind of money you got now are you a millionaire now or is this going to be the first million in your life
1: (laughs) well i'm pretty pretty frugal girl pretty smart with my money so i'm already living in a very very good place i pay a lot of taxes we'll put it that way
0: well you're living in florida (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah I mean that's true but still I fight in other other states
0: yeah no question about <laughs> it. well it, it, the chance to fight on one night for a million dollars has got to be um it's got to be the reason why you went to an organization like PFL to begin with right just the, just the knowing that that opportunity uh, exists
1: yes and no I mean like I told you I don't fight for, I don't fight for money I'm not motivated by money my coach big Jim always told me if you want money win and the money will come and that's something I took to heart and something that is remained true in my life and the way I choose to live my life. Uh, obviously being able to take care of myself, being able to take care of my family, my future family, um, you know, going from being 16 with $200 in my pocket, living off ramen noodles to, um, living the life I live now is I'm truly blessed. You know, I don't have to worry if the car breaks down or if the fridge breaks or if you know something crazy happens so i i live a really blessed life and um i'm truly grateful for the pfl for believing in me and taking a chance on me and um i'm excited to go realize my dreams
0: and the big check is not so bad right i mean for once everybody everybody in their life has got to want to hold up one of those huge giant checks That's i always wanted
1: thought. i always wanted to be a millionaire by 30 and uh yeah life is good
0: there you go. You beat Larissa Pacheco. There, it'll happen for you. Kayla Harrison, thank you so much for your time and talking about all your ventures, including your book and your foundation. Best of luck of uh, best of luck to you at the end of the month.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, cheers. Kayla Harrison talking about her fight December 31st against Larissa Pacheco, Madison Square Garden, PFL, the finals. Uh, That will be one of the fights, one of the events that we talk about here in the final segment as we talk about the month of December, loaded, loaded with mixed martial arts. I am Josh Gross. You're listening to Gross Point Blank. Thanks again to Kayla Harrison. Appreciated her time and her thoughts. Um, Very, very interesting. And uh, check out her fight. December 31st in the PFL against Larissa Pacheco. Of course, thanks again to all of you for listening. I uh, really appreciate your uh, time and attention and uh, support of this show. If you want to get the ad free extended version of the show, you should subscribe to the athletic uh, well worth it. Not just for me and my podcast, but for everything that we do uh, across all sports, but uh, especially mixed martial arts, we're killing it. Uh, you can get 40% off the athletic by going to theathletic.com athletic.com backslash Josh gross. I would uh, certainly appreciate you doing that. We're also running a deal, I think, uh, for uh, gifts this month. Uh, If you want to gift the athletic, you can go ahead and do that. Check it out on the website. All right. Hope you have a great week. Always appreciate your time. I am Josh Gross. You've been listening to Gross Point Blank.